Welcome to GC Live in the speaking engagements of apologist, trainer, and pastor, Travis Marshall. We hope that you will be challenged by what you hear. Take a fresh look at the world around you and experience the God who loves you. Let's join Travis as he speaks to a live audience. I'm actually going to talk today about the classic case for today's Christ. See, this is something that is so important to me. It's a big part of my personal ministry. It's a big part of my, my daily conversations that I have with people, whether it be via the web or face-to-face or phone calls or whatever it may be. I love talking about uh, and, and presenting a case for Christ and dealing with uh, the realm of it's called apologetics. It's defending the faith and how, how to have confidence in the faith that you have. It's so, so important that we do that. You know, as, as a quick side note, first in First Peter, um, we're told that we need to be ready to make a defense or to give an answer for this faith that we have. See, Paul also tells us somewhere in, in 1 Corinthians, he says that we're called, that this one's called to this, this one's called to that, the other one's called to this other thing. But Peter tells us that there's, that this is a command for everybody. Everybody say everybody, right? Say that's me, point to yourself. So it's, it's, it's up to you, and God's calling on you. God's commanded you. God's commanded each one of us that are Christ's followers to make a defense, to have a prepared and ready answer for those that ask us about our faith. I'm actually going to go ahead and, and move into this first passage. I want you to look at me, uh, look with me at uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. We believe that your faith should be re- rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ. We believe that your faith should be rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, "Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen." Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I've preached uh, on this before. Pastor George has. I'm sure you've heard it many times. There's been books written about just this one passage over the years. What I want you to take away as the platform for everything else we're going to be discussing is two things. When it comes to your faith, it has to be two things. One is it has to be substantive. There has to be some substance to it. The second is that it should be evidential. Your faith should be substantive and it should be evidential. You don't have to take this blind leap in the dark hoping Jesus is going to catch you. No, he's simply asking that you take a step of faith. And when you get there, he'll light your path and he'll show you the next step. God is all about taking steps. That's why it talks about in scripture that he'll be a light and a lamp to your feet and to your path. That speaks of a journey. We believe that so much here at Christian World Church that we've built uh, our passions and our purpose around four different crucial steps in the life of a believer and the life of those that are seeking uh, uh, understanding and, and those sort of things. And we believe it, and you'll see it in the, in the cards in front of you and the back sleeve of the seat in front of you, and we'll talk about those at the end. But it's a big part of what we're called to do as a church. We want to help people have a fresh start with Jesus. Whether it's their first or their thousandth yes, we always want you to have a fresh start opportunity. We also want you to find freedom and discover purpose and to make a difference. We believe that God has called us to do that, and that is the journey 
That is, that, is the, that is the spiritual journey that each one of us are on. We're just all at different places in it. So we're actually going to talk today a little bit about this, what leads to this fresh start, this before the gospel type of message. And I want to mention this. We're at a very pivotal time right now in, in our culture today in the area of the gospel. It's very interesting. We're in this weird transition as a culture and as a generation. It, it seems as if in every aspect of culture, almost in every genre and every, every approach to learning or whatever it may be, whether it's music, the arts, whether it's the hard sciences, whether it's tradition, whatever it is, it seems like there's this, this innate, this burning inside one generation to pass on what it's learned and what it's experienced to the next generation. It's like there's just something inside of them that, that's just, we, there's this, this feeling of this, this conviction that I've got to pass this on. The challenge is, is that we do this with the backdrop or with the tension, if you will, of technology. We're, we're trying to do this. We're trying to pass on this information, this experience, these, these things we've learned uh, with, with technology being sometimes more of a distraction uh, and sometimes uh, a little bit of a help. So we see this in every area, and we see it in, in different worldviews and in different religions. I, I, I think of, I'm a big, uh, one of those bizarre foods. Anybody ever seen that show, Bizarre Foods, and he just eats whatever. It's insane. Never could do it. I can never watch that while I'm eating food, and while I'm eating normal food even. But it's interesting. I love that he goes into these, these obscure cultures, and he, it, it's so interesting to me as he's talking to this this that's usually this woman or this man that's elderly and there's this specific way that they prepare this food that's been passed down from tradi uh, by tradition from generation to generation to generation. Some, not only hundreds, but thousands of years, they've been passing down this style of, 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 of culinar culinary, culinary arts or whatever it may be. Pick one. Which one is it? Is it culinary? I know I've got a chef back there. And so what happens is they pass it down from generation to generation, but there was a fear that, that came across in one of these shows that this was the last person in this whole village that knew how to do this. And so there was this, this movement amongst the eldership to, to really compel the, the younger ones to learn this art so it doesn't become lost. See, this is so true, and this is where we're at, and this is why the gospel is so pivotal in our culture today, because we are no different, nor should we be, as Christians. And I'm going to prove this by showing you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You'll actually see this. It begins in verse 1. He says, Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if... You hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He's telling them, don't lose this. Don't lose what I'm telling you. And here's what he says in verse 3. This is so key. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He said, guys, I got this. I received this from someone else. He says, I'm delivering to you as a first, as a primary, as a pivotal importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 
So what, what are we pulling from this? And again, this is one of those passages that's just so rich that we could spend a long time on. But this is what I want to pull from that. It's so important to remember that it is the role of those who have learned. It's the role of those who have learned and have experienced to pass on. To pass on to those that are seeking this knowledge. And that are seeking this experience with God. Don't let it die with you. You remember uh, uh, Pastor Justin and I spoke uh, a few months ago about a message, uh, and it, was, it talked about there arose this other generation who didn't know the Lord. It's up to us to make sure that wherever we're at with God, that we're passing on these experiences, these things that we've learned onto our children, onto our nieces and nephews, onto our coworkers, onto our peer group, and to our circle of influence. But I want to I also add, by the same measure, that it's the role of those who are doing the asking, the seeking, and the knocking to listen, to look, and to open the door of their hearts and minds to receive this message. Yes? It's so, so important. So what I want to talk to you today, it's in two parts. The first one being the history. History informs us of who Jesus is and what he did. History informs us of who Jesus is and what he did. Now, the difference here is, is that the gospel is the challenge to us of what it all means and how we respond. The gospel is the challenge to us of what it all means and how we respond. I'm going to go ahead and unpack this for just a moment. History informs us of who Jesus is and what he did. Let's look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16. He says, For we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Peter's saying, guys, we're not making this up. I was there. This guy was there. You don't believe us? Go ask the, uh, the, the hundreds of others that heard him, that spoke to him, that received a miracle through him. See, it's so interesting. We're in a day and, we're, we're in a day and age where still, for some reason, there's still these straggling few. And believe me, they're far less than they used to be just even a few decades ago. But there's still a few that there was a Jesus, there, there were, really was never a Jesus that ever truly existed. There are still some that, let's not even get to the, to the death, burial, and resurrection. Some don't even believe there was a real Jesus that was born. Now, there's some that subscribe to the idea uh, that you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible, which I don't. I think it's silly. I think it falls short because you can't use that statement to prove that statement. And so... The first crowd got that. I'm going to tell you the 9 amers got that one. I just saw a 747 go over this whole audience. But it's so important that we realize how silly that is and how it falls flat. That Yes, you can use the Bible to prove the Bible. Of course you can. You can use any other form of history. That's what we, that's what we do, and I don't have time to unpack that. But I'm going to tell you, even what, I'll grant that. For a big portion of what we're going to talk about today, I'm not even going to use Scripture. We're going to use this on, we're going to look at a few different levels, and I'm going to introduce those in a moment. But I want you to get this first and foremost. History informs us of who Jesus is, what he did. Peter says, we're not just making it up here. We were there. They were there. They were there. You don't believe us? Ask them. All right? So the gospel is the challenge to us of what it all means. Okay, we got the history. So what? The gospel is what it means and how we respond. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes. I love this Romans 1.16 in today's culture because there's a, there's a group of uh, music artists that actually head up under this banner uh, and they call it 1.16. They're referencing this passage right here. And I love that it's the call of this next generation that they're saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I love that. We, we get sometimes this weird idea that this next generation is lost. Well, one, that's on us to do something about it. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. But at the same time, I'm telling you it's far different. I see a generation that's hungry for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's hungry for an experience with Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is provide an environment and give the information that helps them make that choice. I love what Frank Turek says about uh, in his podcast. It's at the beginning of every show. And he talks about, you know why uh, most of our, our young people today are talked out of Christianity? He says it's because they were never really talked into it. And it's so key, and I want you guys to know, I want everyone that's, that's hearing me today to hear not only my passion, but the information that's right here at our hands. Technology gives us no excuse, and we're able to research these things, and I would challenge you to research these things. But I love it that we don't even need, we don't even need the Bible to prove that there was a Jesus, okay? So we're going to hit on three different questions today. And I'm going to spend uh, most of the remainder of my time hitting on a few classic responses to these three questions. One, did Jesus really exist in the first place? <clears throat> Two, what did other world religions say about who Jesus was? And three, did the Old Testament really predict the birth, ministry, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? So we're going to move on to our first one. And this one's really exciting, I think, especially if you're a history buff. You'll really enjoy this. So what does history have to say about Christ. I'm going to cue in uh, the extra-biblical writers. These are satirists, columnists, uh, historians of their day. And what's really neat about this is I'm going to use three of the ten known examples, ancient examples. Now, these, again, these are outside the Bible. Not only are they outside of, 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 of the Bible writers, if you just allow me to say it like that, they actually are in direct opposition, like they hated Jesus. They hated everything he stood for. They hated his followers. And these are the ones that I'm about to read from. I'm only going to pull three out of the ten, but I want you to see how important these things are. And it's unarguable uh, through, through what they're saying, and this is what I'm trying to prove just with this first point. It's unarguable that there was first a real historical Jesus that, that stepped into time and space. These people who hated Jesus actually did us a favor with their writings. So the first one I'm going to bring up is Cornelius Tacitus. It's A.D., uh, he lived around from A.D. 55 to 120. Now, this guy was a Roman historian. And what he's talking about, and it's, it's a long letter that he's actually, um, uh, you know, writing or a, a long excerpt that he's writing. We're just going to take a small part of that. But he's actually referring to the time in, in history when Emperor Nero... Uh, 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 burned down Rome. I mean, it was like his fault. Nobody pulled down the fire alarm. He was playing with matches. I, I don't know how it happened. The point is, is that he burned down. This is the emperor. He, he gave these orders and he tried to pass off the blame onto the Christians, okay? So this is what Cornelius Tacitus, again, a Roman historian, has to say about that. And again, he's speaking um, uh, about 
Emperor Nero. So he says, hence to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. And then it says Christus, another, uh, uh, maybe just say a Roman version of, or Greek version of Christ. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only through Judea where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. There's something so exciting about seeing this. It's almost like he was like cheating on Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John's paper so that he could write this down. But you've got to remember they hated Christians. They hated Christ. This was his. This was a separate account. This is a separate historical account from people who hated everything that Christ stood for and his followers. And I love that little phrase right there, that pernicious superstition, which most believe, most historians, secular and, and Christian in background, they believe this is referring to the resurrection. They believe that Cornelius Tacitus was actually referencing the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as that superstition. Remember, he didn't believe it, okay? We obviously know it's not a superstition, and that's kind of the point of today. So, right, and Easter. But the pernicious superstition, so it was so interesting that it just it came back. You couldn't, you couldn't bring this down. It just went through, throughout all of Rome. We'll move on one forward. We'll move on to a man named Lucian of Samosata. That's fun to say. Letter half of the second century. This guy was a Greek satirist. If you can think of the, oh, and again, he was he very much despised, uh, obviously, Christians and Jews. He was the, uh, the Bill Maher, the Daniel Tosh of that day, if any of y'all know those references. And so uh, I won't spend any time there, but that's, that's what this guy, that's what he was about. So I want you to see what he wrote. He says, these Christians, you know, worship a man to this day. The distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they're immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they're converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws." All this they take quite on faith with the result they did, that they despise all worldly goods alike regarding them merely as common property. Again, the, the point that I'm wanting to build is this is somebody who is not only antithetical but in direct opposition to who Jesus, his followers, and everything, uh, you know, everything that they stood for. These are not friendly writers, yet they're giving us proof that there was a historical Jesus. And it's interesting that you're seeing what they have to say of the Christians, of, of his followers, and what they believed of him. So we'll move one forward. We'll go to a man named Pliny the Younger. Now, this was a letter that was written in AD 112, and he, he was the governor of Bithynia. He was writing this to Emperor Trajan, seeking counsel on how to deal with those who were accused of being Christians. For many of you, you remember that uh, this is the, about the time, or well, this is the time, when Christians were under such heavy persecution, they were slaughtering Christians in droves. What he was asking about was he, he was writing this uh, letter to the emperor saying, hey, what do I do with all these Christians? There are so many of them. Do I just kill them all or some of them? Or, you know, what do I do? 
And he, it was literally, it was becoming this uprising of, of Christians and of Christ's followers. And I love this, uh, this first phrase, and I'm just taking a couple of quick snippets here. He said, I made them curse Christ. This was his test. He gave them all a test on whether or not they were Christian. I love this. He said, I made them curse Christ, which a genuine Christian cannot be induced to do. That's powerful. That's powerful. And then, you know, and today we, we've, we've talked about it from a couple of different standpoints as this challenges, are you willing to die for Christ? And most everybody's like, yeah, I'm ready. You know, let's, I'll do it. Yay, Jesus, I'm ready. But then, you know, once we get past all that, you ask them the real question. Okay, you say you're ready to die for him. How about just live for him? That seems to be a lot more difficult for some reason. But I love that phrase right there. Then later he describes these Christians. Listen to this. How would you love for Christians today to be accused of this. This is what the accusation was. They affirmed, however, that the whole of their guilt or, or their error was that they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day of the week, a uh, certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang an alternate verse, a hymn to Christ as to a God, listen to this, and bound themselves to a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds, never to commit any fraud, theft, adultery, never to falsify their word, not to deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it. Up. Wow, what horrible accusations, right? I would love for the Christian culture, the, the body of Christ, to be accused of these things. Amen? I say we bring this back. I say we bring this back and we take this solemn oath alongside the rest of the Christians of this day. But let's move forward. So in fact, we could canvas the 10 known non-Christian writings. And again, not only non-Christian, but most of them anti-Christian, though not all. We could take the 10 of those, and it, keep in mind, this isn't over the last 2,000 years. This is within 150 years of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, of his whole ministry. This is, this is contemporary with Christ. We could take, we just mentioned three, but we could take all 10 and we could conduct the following story. Again, these are not friendly to Christianity. These are, this is not from the Bible, all right? This is the story that we could pull from their direct quotes, that Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar, that he lived a virtuous life. He was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover, and darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. His disciples believed he rose from the dead and were willing to die for their belief. Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome, while his disciples denied the Roman gods and worshiped Jesus as God. I mean, th this is like what the people that didn't like him wrote. They realized, and they, and they wouldn't realize, it was common sense. Just as much as we say there's a sun and a moon, that there was a Jesus Christ in time and space. And listen, we're indebted to those who hated Christ and who hated his followers for these first two centuries because their writings helped to authenticate the New Testament writings that we know and love. And I think that's so powerful. I think it is. In fact, in fact, there's more, y'all are going to love this, there's more historical proof for Jesus, just with these 10 resources, just with these 10, forget the Bible first. Don't forget the Bible. You know what I mean? Without using the Bible, just with these 10, there's more proof that there was a Jesus 
that was alive, a little obscure carpenter in a little obscure town, in a little obscure country, there's more proof, more ancient text, more ancient manuscripts that speak of this Jesus than of several of the emperors of his day. Of the emperors, there's more proof of a Jesus than there were of some of these emperors alive around the same time as him. That's powerful. That's powerful. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to go ahead and move on to the next thing. So we talked about the extra biblical writers. Um, I'm going to actually move on to what other religions say about Jesus. Now, this is so important that we, that we take a look at this because what every world religion has to do is has to account for Jesus. That says something. That like, that like so boosts up Jesus' street cred in, in the world religion market. When everybody, when every other religion has to talk about you, what does that say about you, right? Every single other world, every major world religion talks. They take time in their sacred texts and in their teachings because they have to account for Jesus. So we're going to take a look at that. The first one shouldn't be too much of a mystery. It's the Jews. They believe that Jesus was Mary's son, that he was a teacher or a rabbi, that he had many disciples, that he was respected. Uh, that he performed miracles, he claimed to be the Messiah and was crucified on the cross. They also acknowledged his followers reported that Jesus was raised from the dead. Again, not an acknowledgement, they just at least assert that his, his followers uh, believed he raised from the dead. That one's probably not too much of a shock. Let's move on. Let's move to Muslims. Muslims believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he is to be revered and respected, that he was a prophet, that he was a wise teacher who worked miracles. They believe that he ascended into heaven and they believed he will come again. This is another world religion. This is what Muslims believe about Jesus. You can look at the, uh, move on to uh, the religion of Baha'i, Baha'ism. They believe that Jesus came from God, that he was a wise teacher who had a divine and human nature, that he worked miracles, that he was crucified and resurrected as an atonement for humanity. And then we look at Hindus. Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man, a wise teacher, and that they believe that he is a God, okay? Buddhists, we can move further. They believe that Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. And even the New Age believers, uh, they believe that, uh, they maintain that Jesus was at least, they believe he was a, a wise moral teacher. And again, the common thread is that every one of these major religions, of course, there's, there's several that we uh, had to leave out. Uh, and there's several more that are a little bit more obscure, but every one of them had to wrestle with the question of who Jesus is. They do not ignore him because they cannot ignore him. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of GC Live, a live recording experience of Grilled Christian Podcast. You can connect with us by going to our website, www.grilledchristian.com. From there, you can like our Facebook page, Follow us on Twitter, watch our YouTube channel, read our blog, and listen to all our audio podcasts. We believe in engaging our culture through conversation towards Christ.